Okay, Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are going to be studying this afternoon a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, a little preparation for Yom Hadin. I would like first to point out something that's probably obvious to everyone, but I'm not sure if everyone thinks about it. An obvious contradiction that we live on Rosh Hashanah. When Rosh Hashanah comes, we call these days Yamim Noraim. They're the awesome days. This awesomeness comes with a certain fear, a certain feeling of something big is about to happen, something that makes us feel like we have to prepare ourselves. We're getting called into a court, into a bedin, a judgment. We're being judged. This coming year, what's going to be with us? There are all these feelings that bring inside a person a little bit of fear, some, a lot of fear. But there is that sense and in truth, if you open up the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara backs this up and says, yes, there is something to be afraid of. The Gemara says that the Malachim asked Hashem, Ribbono Shel Olam, Master of the Universe, Mipene Ma En Yisrael omrim shira lefanecha berosh hashana ubiyom akipurim. How come Am Yisrael doesn't sing to you during Rosh Hashanah? Why aren't they singing? So the Malachim are surprised why the Jewish people aren't singing enough on Rosh Hashanah or singing at all doesn't seem to be even a question in our minds. What, what do you mean? Why should they be singing? If a person is getting summoned to court and his life is on the line, why would he be singing? But that's what the angels are asking. Why are they not singing? As if they have some sort of ta'ana, they have a claim on the Jewish people. Like they're coming to tell on us, hey, we're not doing the right thing. They're not singing. And Hashem answers them, Amar lahem melech yoshev al din. He says, I don't understand you guys. He's telling the angels. The king is sitting on the chair of judgment. Vesifre hayim, vesifre metim petuhim lefana. And he has the book of life and the book of death. Ve'Yisrael omrim shira. You want them to sing? That's not an appropriate time to sing. So Hashem answered them. But the truth is the angels are not, they're pretty smart themselves. What was their question? Why did they even think that we should be singing? We understand the answer very well. But the answer is so obvious and so simple 
that it doesn't seem that an angel would make such a mistake in even asking the question. So, bottom line is you see that there is this concept of, hey, it's scary. Yom Hadin, it's the day of judgment. They're deciding what's going to happen this coming year. Health, wealth, life altogether, and everything in between is decided. That means any issue, God forbid, that we may have had this past year came from Yom Hadin. Yom Hadin is a very big day. So it's not time to sit around and sing. We don't do that when you get summoned to Betin. In fact, if you start singing, it shows that you really don't respect the court. When you go to court and you play music in the background while they're judging you, that in itself, before they even hear your argument, the very fact that you're sitting there with music on is already a reason to send you home guilty or to keep you there in jail. You have to have a certain respect in front of the judge. We open up Sefer Nehemiah. Over there it's telling us a story that took place with Am Yisrael when they went to exile for the first time. It was in the time of Ezra Sofer. And you can't imagine it, but we have, to, we have to try to imagine a little bit. That in those days, when they got thrown out of Israel, they went into exile, into really a wasteland. They, in, in a religious sense, they were lost. They didn't have rabbis to lead them. They didn't have shuls to pray in. They didn't have schools to send their children People were all over the place. There was no communication. It's not like today. You have phones. You have places to gather. You have leadership of any kind. It wasn't like that. They were thrown out of their country. And they're all over the place. I don't know if you ever saw Bedouins when you're driving in Israel in different places. They have no connection to humanity. That's what our people looked like when they left Israel. They were all over the place. So they lost complete touch with reality. And Ezra Sofer, it says that it was the seventh month, the first day. What date is that? The seventh month of the year, the first day. That is the day of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is on the seventh month. I don't know if you know that, but according to our calendar, even though it's the new year, but it's actually the seventh month of the year. A little strange. Because when we commemorate the months, we commemorate them from the beginning of not of the world. We, comm- from the community. we commemorate the beginning of the Jewish people. Am Yisrael was born in Nisan. So we count the months. Ha-chodesh hazeh lachem rosh chodashim. The month of Nisan is the first month because it is the month when Am Yisrael became a nation. So when we count months, we don't count them according to the creation. We count them according to the creation of the Jewish people. But the, the creation of mankind was on Rosh Hashanah. So it's actually the seventh month of the year. So the seventh month of the year, the first day is Rosh Hashanah. Ezra gathered the people 
And he started reading the Torah, and then they realized that it was Rosh Hashanah. People didn't even realize it was Rosh Hashanah. They were so confused. They were so lost. And as he read to them the Torah about Rosh Hashanah, whatever he read to them, the Pasuk says that they started to cry. And they were in mourning. Meaning they realized that they were lost. And they realized that they realized that it's Rosh Hashanah. It's one thing that you realize you're lost, and then you realize you're being judged that day too. So they started crying. What does Nehemiah tell them? Listen to these words. Now you see people crying, and in Avelut on Yom Adin, you would say that is the perfect way to be. What better way to go in front of the judge and you're feeling bad and you're feeling down and you're crying. Says Nehemiah to them, he says, Hayom, he says, today, Kadoshu Ladonai Elohechem. Today is a very holy day. Altit Abelu. Stop mourning. The Altifku. Stop crying. He says, Vayomer lahem, lechu go, ichlu mashmanim, go eat fatty foods, eat good food. Ushtu mamtakim, go drink, have some good drinks. Veshilhu manot, and send gifts, le'en nachon lo, to those who need it. Ki kadosh hu hayom, ki kadosh hayom ladonenu, today is a very holy day to our master. Don't be down. Your strength is the happiness with Hashem. Here we're seeing a whole different aspect of Rosh Hashanah. Not the shaking, not the scary, not the books of life and death are open. All of a sudden it's a whole different picture. Go eat, go enjoy. Send gifts to one another. Whoever heard of Mishnah Manot or Matanot La'evyonim. That's what it says here. He told him, go give gifts to people who need it. And in reality, we have this behavior, contradictory behavior ourselves. Look at what we do. On one hand, we're scared. On the other hand, we buy new clothing, we get dressed nicely, we have very good food, we eat well. It seems to be two opposites. That's what you're seeing here. In fact, in Halakha, Question is, is a person allowed to cry on Rosh Hashanah? Is a person allowed to stand in prayer and start crying? He brings all different opinions on the matter. 
He says, Halacha lemaaseh, you're not supposed to cry in Rosh Hashanah. If during tefillah you end up crying, it's one thing. But to bring yourself to cry, it's not the right time. Even if you open up Sefer Tehillim, you see this huge contradiction. Listen to this pasuk. It's in Kofiutet, 119. It says, David Melech, Samar mi pahdecha besari. He says, my, my basar, my body trembles from your fear, from fear. yareti. I'm afraid of the judgment. So when you're in judgment, you're frightened. Another pasuk, Perek Tzadivav, listen to this pasuk. Yismehu HaShamayim, let the heavens rejoice. Vetagel Haaretz, let the earth be so excited. Yiram Hayamum Lo'o, the oceans, the whole world. Why should everyone be happy? They're calling everyone to happiness. For, what, for why? What's happening? What's about to happen? Kiba, Lifne Hashem, in front of Hashem, Kiba, he's coming to do what? Lishpot Haaretz. He's coming to judge the earth. So, w- which one is it? David Amel says, I'm frightened because I'm being judged. And another Pasuk says, come on guys, let's all rejoice. Let's all be happy. We're being judged. That's exactly us, Rosh Hashanah. You go to Bet Knesset, you're frightened. You go home, you're happy. You get dressed, you're happy. You go to shul, you... what are you? What exactly is the right attitude So you see that Rosh Hashanah needs a little bit of clarification. Another question of thought that we need to think about is what's with this judgment on Rosh Hashanah? What does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the new year. People celebrate the new year. It's a new beginning. It's exciting. You finish the year. The year is finished. Another new year comes. Every time there's something new in life, it's exciting. We appreciate the new year. Every country in the world has a celebration for a new year. For no reason at all, but just a new, it's a new start. People take on new, new year exciting things they want to take on. They want to go to the gym more often. They want to eat better. They want to learn more. Whatever it is, they have New Year resolutions. Whenever you have a new start, people get excited. They celebrate the past. They get excited for the future. It's normal. But our Yom Had, our New Year is a day of judgment. Is that a coincidence? What does judgment have to do with the new year? Why couldn't the judgment be on a different day? In fact, if you were to hand me the calendar, I would imagine that the judgment would be at the end of the year, 
not the beginning of the year. If I had to be judged, I would imagine you go through the year and a day or a week before Rosh Hashanah, you would say, okay, today is Yom Hadin because we're going to open up the books and we're going to judge you. But we don't do that. We start the year, it's new, and now we're getting judged. Why would you judge someone at the beginning of something? What happened on Rosh Hashanah? Why is Rosh Hashanah the beginning of the year? What makes it Rosh Hashanah? The answer is, as we say in our tefillot, Hayom Harat Olam, which means this day, Rosh Hashanah, is the anniversary of the creation of the first human. Adam Arishon was created on the sixth day of creation that began on the 25th of Elul. That's right now. And Adam Harishon was created on the sixth day. So Rosh Hashanah is the commemoration of the birth of the purpose of this creation, which is mankind. Adam Arishon was created on that day. And every year, Hashem is creating the world again. What does that have to do with Yom Hadin, as we asked? Well, when Adam Arishon was created, the Midrash says that Hashem went to the angels to see should we create men? There was a judgment, but a very different kind of judgment. Not like any judgment you ever witnessed. Usually they called someone to Beddin and they say, listen, you did this, you did that, you're guilty of this, you're accused of that. But this judgment, the first time Adam was created, couldn't have been about the past because he wasn't born yet. So they had an actual bed din right by the creation, in fact, before the creation of Adam Arishon. Could you imagine being judged before you even existed? We never heard of such a bed din. Well, what does that mean? How do you get judged if you didn't do anything yet? But that's what happened. That was, there was a day of judgment. The first Rosh Hashanah, 5,784 years ago, was a day of judgment. And who was on trial? Adam. Where was he? Wasn't born yet. And the trial was, the judgment was, should we create men? Should men be created? So the Midrash says that some angels said, Yes, of course. You know how much hesed this Adam is going to do? You know how much kindness he's going to do? You know how many people he's going to help? Of course, he's going to add a lot to your world. The world will be a much better place. It's good to create him for the world and for himself. 
other angels said, wait, 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 hold on. You know how much sheker is going to be in this person? He's going to lie, he's going to steal, he's going to cheat. He's not emet. He's going to destroy the world and destroy himself. Don't create him. No good. Other angels came and said, you know how much that guy is going to give? You know how much charity is going to be given out every single year? Of course create him. Other angel says, the angel of Shalom says, no, 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 no. This Adam, he's always fighting. He fights with his brother, he fights with his sister, he fights with his spouse, he fights with his kids, he fights with his neighbors. He's always fighting. Don't create him. It's not good for the world. It's not good for him. Not worth it. This is the debate going on. You could hear, by the way, each side. One side says, of course, look how much good. One side says, of course not. Look how much bad. And this is going on until Hashem decided to create Adam. This debate or heavenly court case happens every single year at exactly the same date. We're all being judged. But remember, it's a different kind of court case. People think they're coming on Rosh Hashanah and they're getting judged for what they did. I mean, why wouldn't they think that? Every judgment is like that. Since when do you get summoned for something that didn't happen yet? So automatically, if you hear, today is Yom Hadin, so you're thinking, oh my goodness, what did I do this year? What didn't I do? I got to fix this, I got to fix that. I did terrible here. I got to ask forgiveness for that. But that's not really Rosh Hashanah. It's a mistake. I mean, you should always ask forgiveness for things you did wrong. But that has nothing to do with Rosh Hashanah. If you're out there in Rosh Hashanah trying to cry or have remorse about your past, it's really not about, again, one should always try to fix things of the past. Even today, even last month, even in Adar, even in Nisan, you did something wrong, fix it. But that has nothing to do with Rosh Hashanah. But what do you mean? It's a day of judgment. Don't I have to clear up my record? No. You know why? Because you're not being judged on what you did. That's not what the day of judgment is all about. It wasn't that way by Adam Arishon, and it's not that way ever. So what are they judging me on? What does that mean? I'm not being judged according to what I did. So what then am I being judged on? Well, open up the Gemara on Masechet Rosh Hashanah. Gemara says, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, En danin et ha'adam, Ella lefi ma'asav shel ota sha'af. You know what they're judging us on, on Rosh Hashanah? They're judging us according to the way we are, Right then and there. They're not looking at your past. They're not looking how great of a year you had. And they're not looking at how terrible of a year you had. That's not Rosh Hashanah. 
They're looking at you, Ota Sha'a. They're looking at you how you are now. That is the judgment of Rosh Hashanah. Just like the first judgment wasn't about what Adam did, rather it was about what Adam is going to do, so too we are being judged about what we're going to do. Now how does that work? So Rosh Hashanah is a great day of celebration for one simple reason. Because it is the day that we see a tremendous amount of kindness coming down into this world. On Rosh Hashanah, they open up the warehouse. The warehouse of life. They give out life on Rosh Hashanah. You know how much life is being given out? They're giving out new leases. Life isn't forever. Nobody ever owns their life. But you get a lease. Every year you come in for a new lease. So they're giving out leases. Billions of people. They're giving out health. They're giving out parnasah. They're giving out shiduchim. They're giving out children. They're giving out peace of mind. They're giving out a lot of beautiful things. A lot of pleasures. The ability to enjoy them as well. All of what we have during the year, in the physical sense, when is that given out? On Rosh Hashanah. It is the day of the greatest display of kindness that Hashem shows us. And that is why it's a day of great happiness. We're so happy that Hashem is coming to judge us. Because the purpose of the judgment is to, to figure out how much He should give us. Imagine someone has so much to give you and He finally arrives to study who you are and to figure out how much they should give you. That's a great reason to celebrate. On Rosh Hashanah, we are getting a tremendous amount of kindness. And if we start crying and ripping our clothing in Avelut, that is a sign that we don't appreciate how much God is doing for us. If someone comes to you and says, here, I want to give you all these gifts, and you start crying, there's something wrong with that. So how do we show that we appreciate that this is a day of tremendous hesed that Hashem does for us? You know how we do it? We eat good. When someone gives you a gift and you enjoy it, they appreciate that. We eat, we drink, we dress nicely. Showing our tremendous appreciation for all the good. If someone does something good for you and you cry, it ruins the gift. So that's why on Rosh Hashanah, like the Pasuk says, Yismehu Hashemayim. Oh yeah, everybody get excited. God is coming to judge the world. He's not judging for what you did. He's judging because He wants to know how much to give you. He's got a lot of good in His warehouse and He wants to give you as much as He can based on what you're able to receive. 
That is why Rosh Hashanah is a very happy day. There's no crying on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is not a sad day. So if you ask me, so why did David HaMelech say that he's trembling? Where does the trembling come from? If someone comes to give gifts, why are you trembling? Just be happy. And by the way, that explains why the angels were very upset. The angel says to God, these people on Rosh Hashanah, they're not singing? Look what you're doing for them. Look what you're giving them. They're not appreciating. Now we understand the angels. They're not foolish. The angels are very smart. They couldn't understand how these people are not singing. Hashem told them, no, what do you mean? You know, there's a book of life and a book of death open. It's not appropriate. Where does the fear come in? So it should be all happy. The answer is, you know, when someone's giving out a lot of gifts, beautiful gifts, awesome gifts, gifts that you really, really want and that you really need. Who doesn't need life? Who doesn't need health? Who doesn't need peace of mind? Who doesn't need not only himself to be healthy, the people around them to be healthy? Who doesn't need Parnassah? Who doesn't need Shiduchim? Who doesn't need, who doesn't need that? Everybody needs it. We're, we're desperate for it. And they're giving it out. And now you're waiting online. There's one fear. The fear is that when they look at you and they say, ah, oh, I don't think you're going to be included in this gift. So yeah, we have a, we got a lot in the warehouse, but uh, you're not part of it. Sorry. You don't have the right ticket. So when you're online, it's exciting because they're giving out a lot of gifts. But it's scary because you may not get one of those. You may not be deserving of those gifts. You know, when you're living out your year, sometimes I'll give you a mashal. I think it brings this mashal, the beautiful mashal. He's a person, when they go out to buy a piece of furniture, and they see there's a little scratch somewhere in the bottom of the leg somewhere. They tell the guy at the store, I'm not buying it. I'm not taking this one. If you want, I'll take it 50% off. I'm not taking it. He's okay. Well, it's a little scratch. You can't even see it. It's on the side. No big deal. No. Not taking it. The guy comes to deliver the new couch to your house. A beautiful new couch. comes in to bring this perfect couch that you want, that you made him crazy for. And he sees that your entire furniture is scratched. And way bigger scratches than the one that he had. And he looks at you and says, you made me crazy. For one little scratch that nobody could see, you drove me nuts. Your whole house, all the furniture, look at them. Look at that scratch, look at that scratch. That's broken. How do, you, how do you understand that? So you tell him like this. He says, look, if I already have the furniture and it gets scratched, it's not worth it. I'm not going to throw it out. But when I buy new furniture, I need to get it perfect. That's what happens on Rosh Hashanah. During the year, you may not be really deserving of the things that you're getting. Could be. Could be you messed up. You're not deserving. But you know what? You're already given the gifts. 
you have a few scratches, just leave it. But when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, they're giving out new. When it comes to new, now you have to have zechut to get them. So the fear of Rosh Hashanah, the happiness is obvious. The fear is that you won't be part of the happiness. You won't be part of the gifts. Yes, they're giving out great things, but that's the reason to be concerned. Will you be a recipient of those gifts? So that gives you a little bit of background, just to understand the whole story of Rosh Hashanah, because I believe that many people do not really understand it. And I believe because of that, they're not able to take full advantage of the day, both the happiness of it and the fear of it. There's reason to be happy and reason to be scared. If you're not happy, so you don't know what's going on. If you're not scared, you don't know what's going on. You got to have both. Happiness leads into this fear. And by the way, now we understand why Ezra told the people, go give matanot, go give gifts to those who need. What does gifts have to do with Rosh Hashanah? But now it's clear why. Because Hashem is giving out gifts. And to emulate the Creator and to show our understanding and appreciation, we also give gifts to one another. With all of that, now the question becomes, the main part of what we're about to talk today. So now that you know the whole story, you got the picture, how does one prepare for the greatest Yom Hadin? A big day is coming. It's a really big day. If we just stop and think about how much is riding on this day, how much we need this day to be successful, so then we would have a whole different approach. You see, when you don't know that something is important, so you just let it go. If you realize what's going on, you take full advantage. Capture the moment. You can't capture a moment if you don't see the moment. So how does one prepare for Yom Hadin? So let's better yet ask it differently. How do I prepare a court case about something in the future? How does that work? What exactly am I going in with? Let's say I tell them, but you know what I've done? I, I, I've done so much in my life. This past year, you know how much hasid I did? My tefillot, my Shabbat, my tzniyot. Great year. You know how much Torah I learned this year? You know how many classes I went to this year? If you're going to go into bed and tell them how much you accomplished in your life and how much you did, I'm afraid that that might even be used against you. It might be used against you. If you come and saying, look how much I did. Why would it be used against you? Because from your talk, you sound very satisfied. You sound like you're very happy with what you did. And it sounds like you don't need to do anymore. You're doing okay. And if you talk about all the bad things you did, it also doesn't get you anywhere. 
So what is it that we need to do to have an awesome Rosh Hashanah, which translates into an awesome year? Remember, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Great or terrible, it doesn't matter. Rosh Hashanah is not about that. That's the beauty of Rosh Hashanah. Everyone comes in, no. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. So perhaps the most important tefillah in Rosh Hashanah is a tefillah that's so urgent, that's so important, that we break all the rules in order to say it. Right at the beginning of the Amidah, before we even finish the first Berachah, we say, Zochrenu lehaim. Hashem, remember us for life. We ask for life. Melech, you are the king. Hafetz bahaim. You are interested in life. Kotvenu besefer haim. Write us in the book of life. Lemaanach Elohim haim. For you. Now, why did I say we break the rules to say this? Because we know that the Amidah has a certain structure. All the Amidahs have a structure. The first three Berachot in the Amidah are Berachot of Shevah, of praising Hashem. We talk about the Avot. We talk about how Hashem is kind, He's great. Gomel Hasadin Tovim, He's doing so much Hasad. Mehayemetim. And all Mechalkel Hayim Behasad. He gives food to the world. The first three Berachot are talking about Praising God. We don't ask for things in the first three berachot of the Amidah. Every Amidah, when do we start asking? That is the first time we ask for things. The first three berachot are not for that. So therefore it's very shocking actually that when we ask for life, where is it placed? Not only in the first three, it doesn't belong there, it's even before the first beracha ends, we're already begging for life. Why did they put it there? Why can't they wait to put it later on where it belongs? And the answer is because it's so urgent that you have to break the rules for it. I'll give you another example of urgency in life. Sometimes a person is very ill on Shabbat. So what do you do? You break the Shabbat. But what do you mean? Shabbat is very important. I know, but life is very urgent. So you have to break Shabbat to save a person's life. This request is so urgent that we can't wait to the middle of the Amidah. We need to right away ask, even if it breaks the rules. And I think it's important for us to understand what this request is. It's not so simple, this request. It has a lot of depth to it. And I believe if we're successful today, 
just to understand the line I just told you, we're going to have a great Yom Adin. We're going to have a great year. I will be able to guarantee it if we do it right. Guarantee doesn't mean life will be easy. Just want to tell you. Life is not meant to be easy. But life could be very satisfying. And it's got a lot of great things in store for all of us. But we have to understand this prayer. Because this prayer, besides that it's its prayer, it's also a tremendous guide. What does it mean, remember us lehaim? Remember us for life. What are we asking for when we ask for life? So I want to clarify something very simple, obvious, that we're not just asking to live. I hope that's not what you're asking for. You know, a person in a coma, lo alenu, is also alive. We don't sit shiva for somebody in a coma. They're alive. When you ask for life, I don't think you're imagining life in a coma. I mean, that person has hayim, but it's not a very high level of hayim. You can have a person who's not in a coma, but really can't move. Can't do anything. They're up, but they're really not doing anything. They're not capable. It's also, it's a, we'll call it a higher life than coma, but it's not much of a life. You can have a person who can move, but not too much. You can have, what I'm trying to get at is not all life is the same. The more tools you're given in life, the more health, the more strength, the more peace of mind, the more parnasa, the more tools, all these things are tools. The more you could walk, the more you could talk, the more you're able to accomplish, both physically and with the means that Hashem gives you, it means you have a greater life. You have a greater hayim. Hayim is not, can I breathe? That's also hayim. But there's many levels to hayim. The perfect hayim, we'll call it, in this world, is when you have all of the tools that you need in this world to live a great life. So I hope when you ask for hayim, you're not asking to breathe. I hope that in your mind, when you ask for a life, you mean the all-inclusive package. You want the whole package of life. Every part of our existence to be given the full ability to be able to live a complete and successful life. So I just want to clarify that. Zochrenu lehayim. Hashem, please. Remember us on this day. Not that He's going to forget us. But remember us because there's a reason to remember us, which I will soon get to. When we say Hashem, remember us. He's not sleeping. He's not, he didn't forget about you. He created you. Remember that. He is your biggest fan. People don't realize that. You know, people, who loves you the most? Your mother, your grandma, maybe your spouse, maybe your children. But that's not even close to how much our Creator loves us. Just remember, He made us.
for no reason. He didn't need us. And He gave us all the pleasures we ever had in life is only because He gave us those pleasures and the ability to enjoy them. Any love we experience in this world is a small mashal for the great love of the Creator of the world. You know who's your biggest fan sitting on the sideline rooting for you? It's your Creator. He's been rooting for you from the minute you were born. He doesn't get involved too much in your life because if He did, then you'd have no free choice. So He's on the sideline rooting for you, doing whatever He can without affecting your free choice. He can't get involved in your decisions. But He will do whatever He could to help you make the right decisions. It's also important before you ask Zohrenu Lahaim. Zohrenu doesn't mean remember us because you might forget about us. No. Zohrenu means we're about to do something that will cause you to give us life. Because you're waiting for us to choose life. So Zohrenu, remember us because we're doing what we need to do. We're pressing the right button. What does it mean? Remember us this year to give us a great life. Melech, you're the king that wants hafetz bahim. You want to give us life. What exactly are we saying in that statement? Plus, I hope you'll appreciate this. You may not. It's a little bit of a question in Digduk. If you know Hebrew, you'll appreciate it more. If you don't get it, just never mind. <laughs> but in the request, we say, Zohrenu lehaim. You know, in Hebrew, you could say, Lahaim or Lehaim. Is there a difference between Lehaim and Lahaim? So the answer is yes. When you say lehaim, it just means give us life. Like a life. Give us a life. Lahaim means the life. Big difference. Lehaim means give us life. Like a regular. Lahaim means a specific life. So we start off with Zohrenu lehaim. Give us a life. But then we say, Melech, you're the king. Hafetz, you are interested. Bahaim. Now, you could say, Behaim. Behaim means, give us, you want a life for us. But here we say, no, no. Melech, Hafetz, Bahaim. You want the life. So it's interesting. Please, Hashem, remember to give us a life because you want the life. Why aren't we consistent? Why don't we just say, remember us for a life because you want to give us a life. Or say, the life because you want to give us the life. Why do we start with lehaim and we end with bahaim? If you got that, 
I'm very, very happy, and you should be too. If you didn't, like I said, delete it. It's not going to affect the class. Okay. Now it's true, by the way, in the Rishonim, they discuss that Lahayim may mean Lohayim, but today we're going to give our own little interpretation because I think it's very relevant to our tefillah. So I'd like to give you a little, a little brief understanding of the way the world works. There is something called Haye Sha'a and there's something called Haye Olam. Remember we spoke about Hayim, that there's levels of life? Even in the physical world, it's not all the same. There's the life of an ant, there's a life of a mouse, there's a, and even in humans we explain different levels of life. Well, that doesn't end only in the physical world. In the physical world, the most you can have is Haye Sha'a. Sha'a doesn't mean an hour. Sha'a means a limited time. This physical world, no matter who you are in this world, you have Haye Sha'a. So even if they grant you all the gifts, but there's going to come a time where those gifts are going to expire. Guaranteed. There is nobody here that's going to get eternity in this physical world. It's called Haye Sha'a. Haye Sha'a means a world that is limited. The physical world is limited. That's the world we're living in right now. In a hundred years from today, the room might still be here. Who knows, it might be a museum. Or there might be plenty of people using it. But one thing is for sure. None of us will be here. Sounds sad, right? Don't, don't start crying. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's part of life. It's good. It's reality. That's called Haye Sha'a. Haye Sha'a means we're living in a temporary world. This is reality. You could try to imagine otherwise. You could try to close your eyes and make believe it's not so. You could dream of anything you want, but you can't escape reality. And by the way, when you know the reality, it actually makes you a happier person. It's interesting. People who think that this world is forever have a much harder life than people who know it's temporary. But that's for a different class. Okay. That's the world we live in. We live in a Hayesha. Now let's think. The creator of the world with his abundance of kindness. Couldn't he just give us something forever? You know, if you were going to make milk, would you make it with an expiration? For what? If you give someone milk, let it stay on the shelf forever. Why would you make an expiration on milk? Why is there an expiration on food? And of course... Why is there an expiration on life? Why wouldn't the Creator just give us eternity? Wouldn't that be a bigger gift? Wouldn't that be something lacking in the gift when He gives us something that expires? Milk isn't perfect because it expires. Well, life isn't perfect because it expires. 
Why wouldn't the Creator just give us eternity? Why wouldn't He give us Haye Olam? Olam means endless, eternal. Why is it that our life is limited? It's not like He can't give us more life. Look, as we leave this world, the same hospital. Imagine, the same hospital, just for you to remember. He makes it in the same building. People coming and people going in the same building. It's a good reminder. There's a reason why Hashem made that. People are coming into the world and they're waving to those leaving. That's the way it works. So that means Hashem is reminding you, you don't think I could give you more life? Look, I just made a life from nothing. You, don't, you think I'm limited in how many years you could live? So why doesn't the Creator give Hayesh Olam? Why? The answer is, He does give Haye Olam. But Haye Olam can only happen. The nature of Haye Olam is that they are eternal and they have to come from free choice. Because to be a robot means you're not godly. Godliness is eternal. To be a godly person, it has to come from within you. If someone just handed you something, so you're not godly, you're just a taker. That means we are put in Hayesha'a. We are placed in this world, in a temporary world. Everything is temporary about this world. In order to turn Hayesha'a into Haye Olam. When we turn Hayesha'a into Haye Olam, that's our choice. And therefore, we're in this world actually to create our own eternity. One more time. It's not like you thought when you were little. When you do good in this world, they give you heaven. It's not like that. That's for little children. That's not what it is. It's a mistake. When we do good in our life and maximize our life, our haye sha'a, we're actually creating eternity. We are creating the eternal side of us. The physical part of us will expire. But the real part of us, the spiritual part of us, is eternal. And we create that when we use Haye Sha'a and make it Haye Olam. We're not here to live 50 years, 80 years, 100 years, 120 years. We're not here for that. We're here for something much bigger. The goal is to make from Haye Sha'a Haye Olam. Now, how would a person create Haye Olam from Haye Sha'a? How is that going to happen? Answer is, you need all the gifts to turn it into something greater. You got to start with something. So, if they give you life, okay, that's a good start right there. They give you energy, good start right there. They give you tools. For example, they give you money. Oh, money is a great example of Haye Sha'a that can be turned into Haye Olam. How? Well, you give a lot of charity. 
When you give charity, you're changing physical money to eternity. When you give charity, you're helping people and you're helping people learn Torah or you're helping them live a happier life. That's a spiritual achievement. What got them to raise themselves? Your money. So your money traded itself to Hayat Olam. Plus money can give you more free time. Oh, more free time. You can go to learn. You could help more people. You could do a lot more with your life because you have some security. That's how you take Hayat Sha'a into Hayat Olam. You have a beautiful voice. So go inspire people with that voice. You turn a nice voice into Hayat Olam. You have a good brain. Well, you could help people with that. You could learn more. Turn Hayat Sha'a to Hayat Olam. Hashem can give you children. Ooh, that's a big one. Children are Hayesha'a. But you can turn the Hayesha'a. If you raise your children right, then your children are not physical children. Your children are your spiritual achievement. If you just raise your children Hayesha'a, you give them to eat, you dress them nice, you give them vacations, you take care of all their physical needs, which is also a kindness. You get a little hayyolam for that too. But the main part of children's hayyolam is turning them into awesome people. Turning them into real great people. In their accomplishments, in their spirituality, in the way they accomplish in this world. Well, that's turning your physical children into your olam, hayyolam. It is that way with every single gift God gives us in this world. I was once speaking somewhere out of the country about the subject of charity and tzedakah, how important it is. And I had probably an hour about the subject. Afterwards, an older man came to me. And uh, I didn't know him. But I guess from the conversation, it seemed he was a very wealthy man. So he says he got very inspired from what I said. But he has to be open with me and maybe I could help him. He says, I can't write a check to charity. I said, sometimes I write it, I can't sign it. I just can't do it. He says, I work very hard for my money. I feel very attached to my money. I just can't let go of my money. Okay? I mean, he's not the only one. There are, yeah, there are people married to their money. They'll divorce their children. They'll divorce their brothers. They'll divorce it. How many people do you know divorce their entire family because they're so attached to their money? A lot more people than you think. So here's a man attached to his money. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. So I told him, listen to me. I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, you seem like a very intelligent person. Now, the truth, I didn't know him. But I, I think all wealthy people think they're intelligent. So... I just told him that. He liked that. He assumes that if you make money, you're very smart. It's not necessarily so, by the way. You could be not so smart and make a lot of money. But anyway, I told him that just to... It was a, it was a nice way to start the conversation. I said, you know, you're a very intelligent man. You know, you made a lot of money in your life. I said, you know, I want to ask you a question. I said, I'm sorry for the silliness of the question. You'll forgive me. I'm not so smart. I said, but if you had... If you had all your money sitting 
in euro currency and the euros are paying 50% annually for your money. So you put 100 million, you come back next year, 150. For doing nothing. Just put money in the bank, euro, they're paying you 50%. Beautiful. I said, how awesome is that? Great. I said, and then you hear, every day you open the bank account, another half a million, another quarter of a million, another, for doing nothing. Beautiful. I said, and all of a sudden you hear rumblings in the background. People are saying, very, very knowledgeable people, trustworthy people, that the euro is in danger of survival. And sometime very soon, maybe even in the next few weeks, it's going to go under, which means there won't be any more euro. So I said, you know, you're a smart man. I mean, what would you do? He says, well, obviously, you take all your money from euro and buy something else with it. You trade your currency. So I told him, listen, you forgive me if I tell you this. I don't know you, you don't know me. But whatever you have, like all the buildings that you own, all the money you have, before everything you have is worth zero. As imagine opening your bank account and there's nothing in there. You look around real estate, you own nothing. I said, you know what's going to happen to you? When? I don't know. I says, but for sure it's going to happen. Because the minute you leave this world, you own nothing. You own zero. I said, as a smart man, I said, knowing that you're going to own nothing, I said, you'd be very wise to trade in your currency that's worth something today for something that's eternal. Because otherwise, it's going to go to zero. Now, I'm not sure if he wrote checks after or not, I can tell you. But that's a reality. The reality is, yes, you need money to live. But if you have extra... The money isn't to live here. The money is to live eternity. Of course you have to help your family, help each other. I'm not saying that you take all your money and throw it to charity. But a reason why you were given more is to acquire eternity. And the Creator is sitting on the sidelines saying, Come on, you dip, what are you doing? What are you doing? You don't need to buy that. You don't need this. That's going to expire. Go use it somewhere else. You know how bad you would feel if you see... Sometimes you see your children wasting something they have so precious. They're so talented at this. And you think, oh, what a waste. Why don't you do more of that? You could, you're so good at it. It bothers you. Now, they don't understand. The creator of the world sees the gifts that we have and sometimes we just waste it. Hayesha'a is what Hashem gives us. The purpose is to turn Hayesha'a into Olam. That is the perfect gift. By the way, this explains a very big question that we find on the Torah, on God Himself. You know who asked this question? The Rambam asked this question. The Rambam asks in Hilchot Teshuvah, very, very interesting question. 
we know that in this world, Hazal tell us, Sechar Mitzvah, Behai Alma Leka. Translation, the reward of a spiritual act in this world, there isn't. Which, by the way, makes sense. A spiritual act is an eternal act. You can't award a physical, excuse me, a spiritual act with a physical reward. It's a different currency. You just can't do it. So if I do something spiritual, there's nothing in the physical world that will be able to pay that act. Why? Because the act is eternal. And by nature, everything physical is going to expire. So how could you reward me for a spiritual eternal act with a physical expiring reward? So therefore, it's not possible that Hashem will give us a physical reward for a spiritual act. You know how sometimes you say, I don't get it. I prayed this morning. Why am I not getting rewarded? I did this mitzvah. How come I don't get rewarded? Nonsense. There's no reward in this world for your spiritual achievements. None. It's not none. It's not even possible to give it to you. Says the Rambam, you open the Torah, and the Torah has full, full of berachot, blessings, or kelalot, or curses. For things, if you live this way, if you listen to the mitzvot, if you live the right way, you're going to have rain, you're going to have health, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. If you don't live the right way, you're going to have this problem, that problem, you'll have a war, you'll have hunger, you'll have a famine. Says the Rambam, what's going on here? When you open the Torah, you never see, oh, and if you do this right, you'll live forever, you'll have eternity. Olam doesn't say that. If you look at all the blessings and curses in the Torah, it's always of the physical kind. Says the Rambam, I don't get it. I thought that for physical, you can't pay with physical. What happened here in the entire Torah? We find the blessings are always physical. Long life, health, panasa, children, peace, peace of mind. What is going on? Big question. Says the Rambam that you're making a mistake. He says when the Torah gives berachot, that's not the reward. When Hashem says, if you do the right thing, I'll give you long life. If you do the right thing, I'll give you health. That's not the reward. That isn't the reward. So what is it, says the Rambam? The Rambam, I'll say it in my own words, not the Rambam's words. The Rambam says that Hashem is your biggest fan. He's on the sidelines watching you. Doing whatever He can to help you. But you have to choose. So let's think. The more he gives you in the physical world, the more haye sha'a you have, the more haye olam you can create, like we already explained. The less haye sha'a you have, the less haye olam you can create.
Very simple. So as your biggest fan, should he give you more Hayesha or less Hayesha? What do you think? If he's your biggest fan, should he give you more Hayesha or less Hayesha? What do you think? Oh, I knew you were going to say that. That's why I asked. So that's wrong. I'm going to explain to you why it's not more. Okay? It was a trap. It was a trap. It was a trap. Okay, you fell in the trap. Come on, you, come on. Give me a little yeah. more credit than that. Yeah. You think I'd ask you a question like that? So it's not more. It depends. I'm going to tell you why it depends. If a person has more, then more is expected of them. And if you don't do more when you have more, that's held against you. So, let's say a person after 120 is asked, how come you didn't build yeshivot? How come you didn't help millions of people? How come you didn't give out millions of dollars of charity? How come? And you'll say, God, hello. I don't have an extra dollar to my name. I barely paid the rent every week. I never had an extra dollar. How can I give so much money? I'll look at the guy and say, oh, okay. I hear that. Check. He's exempt. Because he doesn't have. But what if the person has hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in his bank account and they ask him the same question? What's he going to say? That becomes his prosecutor. That becomes held against him. So not necessarily is Hayesha'a so good for you. It could become your enemy. That's why Shlomo Amir says in Kohelet, there is in this world Osher. Osher means wealth, not only money, any gift. Shamur lib'alav, it's waiting for the owner. Lira'ato. It's to his detriment. It's going to destroy him. Why would Osher destroy you? Because if you don't use it, it's going to be held against you. The more gifts you have, the more liability you have. Just like in leadership, right? If you only lead yourself, you have a liability. You lead now a family, you're more responsible. You lead a hundred people, you're more responsible. The more you're given responsibility, the more liability. You could mess up big time. Instead of hurting yourself, you hurt a hundred people. So, the more you're given, the more danger it is. The greater opportunity, the greater liability. That's the way it works. So the creator is your biggest fan. He's, he wants how much, how much does he want to give you? Everything. He wants to give you every possible opportunity there is in your existence. That's what he wants to give you. Why? Because the more he gives you, the more you'll turn it into Haye Olam. And each person has his max of what he can handle. Hashem made every person unique. Doesn't mean everyone will be a billionaire. Not everyone needs to be a billionaire. But Hashem will give each person the max berachot that he will be able to turn into Haye Olam. Why wouldn't he? He's your biggest fan. Wouldn't your mother do that for you? Would your mother not give you everything she can because... 
she can and because you need it of course she would but there's a problem if you don't use it it's not good for you why would he give it to you your mother wouldn't give you something that's going to hurt you so how does that decision go are you going to get hayesha'a or you're not going to get hayesha'a how much are you going to get the answer is it all depends on what you're going to do. What are you going to do? Right now, where you are, are you ready to commit that when Hashem gives you life and energy and time and money, are you ready to step up your game and to do much more in your life because now you can? Are you committed to that? That you're going to live a life on a much higher spiritual level because you could? Are you ready to go to the next step in your life? To do whatever you need to do. To raise everything about yourself. To raise your kindness. To raise your fear of heaven. To raise your modesty. To raise your tefillot. To raise your care for others. To raise your wisdom. To, are, are you ready to go to all the levels that you were created to reach? Are you ready for that? Well, if you're not ready, remember the Gemara, what it says, they judge you according to who you are now. They're not looking at your past. They don't care about your past, Rosh Hashanah. They're giving out gifts. On Rosh Hashanah, they're giving out Haye Sha'ah. They're giving out so much Haye Sha'ah. Chesed, something to celebrate, something to sing about. Question is, where are you? Are you going to benefit from the Hayesha or is the Hayesha going to hurt you? Who decides that? You. You are going to have to come in, and of course, you can't sketch the Creator. You could sketch yourself, but you can't sketch Him. If you're honestly coming in, really ready, say, Bore Olam, I know you love me. I know you're on my team. I know you want to give me everything for me to succeed. And I know it's all dependent on me. I know that. I am ready. I am committed. That's what, we, that's, that's what it means when you say, Hashem Melech. What does it mean, Hashem Melech? You think he needs you to tell him he's the king. Hashem Melech means I'm ready to be your Eved. I am ready to live the life that you created me for. I'm ready to break all the barriers. I'm ready to move forward and higher. I am ready. I was scared to do that, but you know what? I'm doing it. I was compromising because of this. Forget it. I'm going forward. I am ready. I want all the Hayesha'a because I'm ready to turn it into Hayesha'a. Says the Rambam, that's what the Torah is saying. That when you listen to Hashem and you do the right thing, what are you going to get? You're going to get more, not the reward, you're going to get more Hayesha'a. Hashem will say, oh wow, you're doing great with your time? Beautiful. I'll give you more time. Oh, you're doing good with your money? Great, I'll give you more. Because you're using 
your Hayesha'an for the right things, then Hashem will bless you, not with the reward. He'll bless you with giving you more opportunity. Those are the Berachot. And if you're not doing the right thing, He takes away the opportunity. Also good for you. Because if you had the opportunity and you didn't use it, it's not so good. That's what the Rambam says. Haye Sha'a into Haye Olam. A few years ago, a man wanted to talk to me. Someone I didn't know very well. Not from this community. He wanted to talk to me. He had a nervous breakdown. And I'm not sure why I got that call. I don't know why I'm the nervous breakdown, Rabbi. But he said he had a nervous breakdown and he needs to talk to me. Okay. I know of the guy. I don't really know. He needs to meet with me right away, ASAP, right now. This, I said, I don't have time right now. I'll come next week. No, no, I can't come next week. I gotta come now. So I can't see you now. So we made up for the next day. Okay. Comes in. Guy is shaking. Okay. This is a man in his 50s. Shaking. So um, I told him, what's wrong? He says, I don't know how to say this. I said, say it. He says, I went to a top doctor. Top in America. By the way, I learned over the years that everyone's doctor is the top doctor. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Everyone goes to the top doctor. I don't know how many top doctors they are. But everyone's doctor is the top. I never heard someone say he went to a doctor and he was like the middle went to the top doctor in the, in the world. Okay, fine. Okay, he went to the top doctor, and this top doctor told him something happened. I don't know what happened. He passed out, looked in his brain, told him something wrong over there. You're going to lose your memory. You're going to lose your... Uh, within a few months, you're going to start going down, and then whatever happens. Guys coming in, he's like, "What do I do?" I said, no, "You went to the top doctor." <laughs> I, told him. I was very straight with him, you know. At that point, just talk straight. I said, "You went to the top doctor." I'm not a doctor, so I said, "What do you want me to do?" He's like, "Well, well what does this mean?" He tells me. I said, "I don't know. I said, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell what it means." I said, uh, he said, well, you have to help me. Like, what, what do I do? I said, tell me about yourself a little bit. I said, uh, would you call yourself an accomplished man? He said, yes, very much. I said, like, like, like what? He says, you know, I've helped a lot of people in my life. I gave a lot of charity. I have to be a very wealthy man. I gave a lot of charity. I, uh, you know, I, I raised a family. He says, my children are all married, thank God. I helped them. I built a nice business for them. I said, do you have any homes? Do you own any homes? He said, I own three. I said, ah, oh, beautiful. 
So after he told me all that he accomplished, so I told him, I said, listen, I said, you'll forgive me, but it seems to me that you pretty much did a lot in your life. I said, why exactly do you want to live any more years? I said, what do you, like, what do you want? You Look at you. I said, you helped so many people. You set up your family. You helped your children. They're all married. You have homes. I said, God bless you. You did a great thing. I said, I'm not really sure why you want to live more. You did great. So you're coming out on top. He looked at me like I lost my mind. There, the same way you're looking at me right now. I know. I'm not making this up, by the way. This is exactly what happened. He's looking like, but he stopped shaking. I got him to stop shaking, at least. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Now, he thought I'm going to tell him, I'll give you a blessing. It's fine. It's going to happen to you. Go look up in the sky twice and come back down and you'll be fine. <laughs> That's what he was looking for. He was looking for some sort of, I don't know. Yeah. So I told him as it is. I said, so okay, it's a big deal. So I said, you, you, you know, you're almost 60 years old. You'll be fine. You did, you did a great job. You did a great job. So he, he, he started yelling at me. So why are you saying that? I said, listen to me. I said, you can't, I'm not a doctor. I said, if you want me to help you, you need to come back. This is after two hours, by the way, sitting there. So you need to go home. She says, write down what you need to accomplish in your life that you haven't accomplished yet. I said, after that, I can talk to you about getting more years. I said, I can't just go to heaven and get you more years. It's not like that. It says, I need to come in with some, some paperwork here. I, I, what, what, what are you asking me to go for you for? So you could just breathe for another 40 years? I, I can't give you that. I said, what, you want to play golf? I said, I don't think it's going to get If you want to play golf for 40 years, I'm not sure I can get it for you. I said, what, what exactly do you want to live for? What do you want to accomplish? I said, you already did everything, it looks like. You're so proud of your past, and you should be. He didn't even know what I was saying. He's like, what do you mean, more to accomplish? I said, see, you can't even tell me. I said, go home and come back. He said, what do you mean? What more can I do? Like what? Like what? <laughs> you know what I realized, by the way, in life? That everyone thinks they're maxed out of what they could do. How do I know that? About six years ago, I went to visit someone in Shiva. Now, this person, I think we would all agree, is not really like a very accomplished person. No Shabbat, no Kashrut, no Tfilot, no, maybe he comes to Shul on Yom Kippur. Like, that kind of person. Some minor tragedy happened in his family. I went to visit him during Yeshiva. So, of course, during Yeshiva, I'm not going to go talk to him. I just sit. If he wants to talk to me, you could talk. You don't come in Yeshiva and start talking to people. You let them talk if they want to talk to you. So I'm sitting waiting one minute, two minutes, we're staring at each other. All of a sudden he says, he's Rabbi, I don't understand. Why do I deserve this? Now in my mind I'm thinking, like, how much time do you have? I could, I could tell you. But let's take a piece of paper and let's write how much. Of course I didn't do that. But, what I realized is that everyone thinks that, like, they do enough. 
Why do I deserve this? So here's this man sitting next to me. Again, he's a good man, not a bad person. But he couldn't even think of anything. So let me ask you a question. I said, I said, do you, do you learn? Like, do you learn Torah? He says, no. I said, do you know how much there is to learn? Do you understand how much you need to learn? I said, do you understand how necessary it is to learn? Does he have no goals in learning wisdom? I said, do you think about the children and grandchildren of your family, about their spiritual future? Are you, I know you plan their physical and their businesses. Are you thinking about them in 20, 30, 40 years from now? Are you worried about that? And it was, no, 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 no. I started asking. I said, listen to me. I can't help you unless you have what to live for. Tell me what you're going to do. So he tells me, you tell me what to do. So I told him, I gave him a few things that he's not used to. And he shook my hand. To his credit, he was a good man. He was a sincere person. He says, I'm going to do it. I told him, come every morning. Go thank your creator. Did you ever come pray? All the great things that you were given, not once, you don't pray in the mornings. You don't come to shul. Again, he wasn't a bad person. He just, that's not what he does. He said, come, pray, learn. He said, all of a sudden, you'll start helping, you'll do. He shook my hand. He said, I'm committed. I will not miss. I told him, I said, I guarantee you that nothing is going to happen to you. I guarantee you, you're going to be fine. He says, you sure? <laughs> so I said, I already guarantee you. I can't be sure of that too. I'm not a big, you know, mekobal, that's not what it is. He started coming every day. Started to do when he was learning. Baruch Hashem. Till today, he's around. Maybe a couple of months later, calls me up. He's not going to believe it. I went to a top doctor, a different top doctor. <laughs> he says he looked at me. He says the whole thing was a misdiagnosis. We had a whole seal the whole ah, it's beautiful. His family, his friends. Made a big thing. What happened there? It's very simple. If you have nothing to live for, so what, what exactly do you need Hayesha'a for? The opposite, if you have nothing to live for, if you're so accomplished, so then better you should check out. Because you could only go downhill from there. You know, the Pasuk says, we read it a few weeks ago. Beautiful pasuk. It's so beautiful, this pasuk, that we actually use it on the night of Rosh Hashanah in the Berachot. The pasuk says, Untanecha Adonai Lerosh Velo Lezanav. It says, Hashem is going to put you as the head. Being the head is a great merit. You could help so many people. It's a big headache also. But it's a lot of merit 
to be able to help people, to do for people, to give money, to teach, to listen, to get involved in organizations, to get involved in... It's such a zikhut to be a rosh. Of course, a lot of people, they shy away from that because it's a headache. People become very humble when you ask them to get involved in helping big things. They're not, where am I? I'm nobody. It's not necessarily the right answer. Sometimes you can't, but very often we could. There's no greater zikhut in this world, says the Havot Lalavot, than the zikhut of the people of the Rabim. On many, many levels, like I said, teaching, money, help, getting involved physically, in every way. You get that opportunity, you run with it. Wuntanecha Adonai Lirosh. So I'll give you a blessing that I'll give you opportunities to be the head. Velole Zanav, and you won't be the tail. That's what we say. Night of Rosh Hashanah. We should be the head and not the tail. And the Pasuk continues. And he says, Vehayita Rak Lema'la. And you will be only on top. Only. lemata, And you won't be on the bottom. Now the obvious question in this Pasuk is, if you bless somebody, that they're going to be the head. Obviously, they're not going to be the tail. You don't have to say that. If I tell you, you're only going to be on top, you don't have to say, and you won't be on the bottom. It's obvious. How could you only be on top and be on the bottom? Why does the Pasuk say that? I'll tell you something very, very important. Because very often being on top or getting to the top, being on top very often is the beginning of the bottom. When you reach the top in your life, it's very often the tail that begins the bottom. When you feel accomplished, I did, I'm done, I'm good. This is who I am, take it or leave it, all those kind of silliness. When you think you reach the top in your life, you're good, you're doing what you're doing. The world wasn't meant for people to stay the same. We haven't been the same since we were born. We're always changing. We're here to change. We're here to become higher. When you reach the top, and you think that's it, there's only one way to go, there's only one direction to go, it's down. That's why Hashem made the world, everything is round. If you notice, all the creations are round. There's no square fruits, there's no square trees, there's no square limbs, everything is round, everything is round. The earth is round, the, the moon is round, the sun, everything's round. But Hashem forgot the other shapes. Why is everything round? Because it's a world of movement. You can't stay where you are. You can either go up or you can go down. And if you're not going up, you're going down. That's why Shlomo Melech says, Ora hayim lema'la lemaskil. The smart person knows that the way of life is to go up. Why? Lema'an, in order, sur misheol mata, in order not to go down. Which means going up is not only to go up. You have to go up. Also, so you shouldn't go down. Going up is not only to reach higher. Going up is necessary so you don't go lower. 
So the blessing of being the Rosh for some people, excuse me, could be not a blessing. Because you're blessing them basically to be the tail. Because now oh, you've reached the top. Okay, so now where are you going? God says, no, no, I bless you that you should be the Rosh and you should find another Rosh. I bless you, you'll be on top and from there you'll find another top. Because if you reach the top and you think that's it, living life thinking you're done, you're an accomplished person, that's why I say, if you did great things in your life, it's even more dangerous. Because you feel like, okay, I've done it all, I'm good. But then there's no reason to have more hayesha. That's what the Rambam says. Hashem gives us more hayesha when we are going to turn it into haye olam. That is why we say, Zochrenu lehayim. Hashem cannot give us the life. The life is haye olam. But God can't give us the life. Then it's a gift. It's free. It's not our doing. So we ask Him for life. Just give us life. Why should you give me life? God, why should you give me life? For what reason should you give me life? For what reason you should give me all the opportunities of this physical? Why? You know why? Melech hafetz. Because you want what? Bahayim. Because you want a special life from me. You want haye olam. But I could only turn Haye Olam when I have Haye Sha'ah. I need you to give me life. That's why we say, Lemanach Elohim Hayim. Give me the life. I'm ready to step up my game. I'm ready to do more. I'm ready to be the great person that you want me to be. I'm ready to break all the barriers. I'm ready to go higher and higher. This is what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin because they're giving out a lot of Haye Sha'ah. They can't give out Haye Olam. It's up to us. How much Haye Sha'ah are we going to get? How much Haye Sha'ah is each individual going to get? Answer How much Haye Olam are you looking to make this coming year? The more on Rosh Hashanah you are attached to Haye Olam, the more you commit yourself to turn your world and your life into something much bigger, the more Haye Sha'ah you're going to get. That is the reality. I bless you all that you should have a wonderful experience on Rosh Hashanah. Enjoy the gifts and be a little scared that you may not be part of those gifts. And commit yourself to Haye Olam. And I bless you and I guarantee you. Look at that. It became a very... Uh, I'm guaranteeing things. I guarantee you that if you have that attitude and it's real and it's authentic... Be'ezrat Hashem, you'll see tremendous beracha. Uba'u alecha kol ha-berachot You will have all the blessings. Ve'hisigucha. And they will reach you. You will realize why they were given to you. You will understand why they were given to you. 
you'll use them for great accomplishments into Hayyeh Olam, to school of Shanim Rabbah.